This is 100 Eyes on Sports with Matt Zimmer and Brian Henschen, presented by Argus Leader Media. Each week, Zim and Hank will be talking sports, pop culture, and anything else happening now. Without further ado, here's Matt and Brian. All right, welcome back to the podcast. The start of a new uh, sports season. Brian Henson, Matt Zimmer, you know Matt best from his Drake gifs during the USD game. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, how you doing? It's a two-year tradition. <laughs> go to th- a third-year tradition, or I guess a third game, when uh, the Jacks play Drake in two weeks. But Oh, boy. Yeah, they Drake's going to have about had their fill of South Dakota <laughs> by, the, by uh, next week. But, yeah. yeah. It feels good to have college football back. It sure does. It was, it was a, a fun f- weekend. Wow. Um, you know, I, there were a lot of games Thursday night. Obviously, I was in Brookings for the Jacks game, but then Saturday, uh, I was thinking about going to the Augie game, uh, but I decided, hey, it's on TV. I can just sit at home and watch 20 games at once and follow on Twitter and com- my computer and everything. So I did that and greatly enjoyed it. And then uh, even watched a couple of games Sunday night too. So one weekend in, I am I am certainly not. Getting sick of football yet? <laughs> <laughs> Let's start with uh, your beat. We'll start with the Jackrabbits. They beat the living tar out of Duquesne. Yeah, um, I think I predicted forty-four thirteen. I think on my live chat, and it was fifty-one thirteen. So one more touchdown. They were, or they, I should say, they had one more touchdown than I gave them credit for. But it went about how I'd expect. Uh, I didn't think their offense even played that well, scoring fifty points and having six hundred yards. Just in that. Uh, Taron missed a ton of throws. Um, you know, Jake Winicky's really good, so sometimes you can get away with that. Uh, Duquesne's defense didn't seem very like they put up much of a fight because uh, the Jacks just had a lot of big plays. Um, uh, the, the the positive you take out of it, if you're SDSU, is certainly their defense. Um, you know, going into the game, Duquesne's like, hey, they've got a running back that was the freshman of the year in the in the nation. Who they're they're talking up as potentially an NFL guy, although to be honest, I wasn't that impressed with him uh, in person. Uh, their quarterbacks an FBS transfer from Boise State. I think they got a couple offensive linemen. One I think is an All-American. Um, so there was a thought that with the Jacks' defense being a big question mark, front seven being largely new, um, you know, maybe they would give up 30 points. What, how would how would the game go? Would it be a shootout? Uh, it was not at all. It was 34 to nothing. Uh, halfway into the second quarter, and uh, they got a touchdown before half, and they got a touchdown in garbage time. But I thought SDSU's defense for a first game—I'm I'm not declaring them, you know, the the 2000 Baltimore Ravens or anything—but uh, they looked really good, mm-hmm. and I think that's the biggest positive you take from that. Um, with these type of games, one of the you don't really learn a lot about a team necessarily, but you can learn negatives. And the other thing that comes into that is injuries. And the Jacks didn't exactly come out of that unscathed. They lose. Goddard was banged up. But then you have a right tackle, Tyler Weir, who suffered a leg injury. Yep. Um, and before the game, a couple uh, Spencer Hilldahl was supposed to be a starter at defensive tackle. He didn't even dress, uh, so his status is uncertain going forward. Um, I would think Dallas will probably be good. Um, I and mean, he played a lot. They just didn't really use him. Mm-hmm. And he didn't, you know, there were rumors going around in, during the week that something had happened. Um, one of the coaches texted me actually during my live chat to say, no, he's fine, he's playing. Um, but he didn't, he didn't say he's not hurt, he just said he's playing. Well, yeah. So I had a pretty good hunch that he wasn't 100%. Um, but he didn't look like he was noticeably limping or anything. He made one really nice catch on, again, an underthrown ball that he came back to get. 
Um, they'll probably need him a little more this week, so I would assume that they're going to try and push him a little more. They had nine days, or they will have had nine days uh, to get ready for the game, for him to get rested up. So I'd expect him to be good to go. Tyler Weir's obviously the biggest question mark. That was the one position group where they couldn't afford an injury because Matt Clark's already out for the first six games with a suspension. Um, they've got two or three true freshmen uh, dressing uh, in the, on the two deep. So mm-hmm. uh, if Tyler Weir can't go, and you know I haven't talked to John since Thursday, um, but it sounded like there was a good chance that maybe he won't, um, then Evan Greenway would be my guess would step in as – He'd probably play guard, and they'd move uh, Wes Gannant back from right guard to right tackle. That would be my guess uh, from what I've gathered. Uh, and Evan Greenway had a great camp. He was a guy they were really excited about. I think he can probably play as well as a starter as Tyler Weir did. But, again, you're just down one more guy. Yeah. You know, When Tyler Weir stepped in, it was like, okay, he'll probably do fine, but the, with Matt Clark suspended, that's one less guy. Well, now Tyler Weir goes down, and it's like, okay, Evan Greenway will probably do fine, but that's one less guy. Oh. And if they get in a point in a situation where you've got two or three freshmen playing on the offensive line all of a sudden, that makes you nervous with uh, those skill players. You know, can can you protect them? And it's a continuity thing too. You want all you know mm-hmm. five guys. You want them all playing together. Absolutely. Over the course of a season, especially early on here, when you got a couple winnable games to start things off before you really get going in the Valley Conference mm-hmm. schedule. Um, yeah, that, that could be potentially a damaging injury. Speaking of the freshmen, are you surprised on any of the red shirts that were pulled out of the uh, eight guys? No, not really. I mean, it was um, basically from the list of guys that we had before the season that we yeah. thought might. Uh-huh. Um, I guess I never saw or heard it, but after John told me they might pull ten red shirts, uh, apparently he was on... One of the radio stations, probably Craig and John, and told them it was more likely to be seven. Well, it ended up being eight. Uh, I thought it was nine when I looked. There was a guy whose name was in the box scores having played. It turned out he didn't play. Um, and I remember thinking, that's weird. I don't remember seeing him play. But that guy could end up playing. Uh-huh. So it could still get to ten. And, you know, I don't think we'll ever really know if that's if the reason they're doing that is because they're that concerned about their depth or if it's because they think those freshmen are just that good that they can help them win right away. Because I will say, um, you know, this is, as we've said many times, an all-in season. Yeah. Well, that means they're not going to save anybody because, well, we don't want to burn a year of eligibility. If they think it can help them win, they'll burn the year of eligibility. They are all-in for this year. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think of Dalton Douglas coming in there in the second half? Obviously, it's garbage time. But... Yeah, but it, I think he did a nice job, and more important, even if he hadn't done a nice job, it was just really good for him to do something more than just turn around and hand off for the last five minutes of the game trying to run out the clock. They got him in early enough that he was able to run the offense, you know, call some plays. Uh, I don't know if he, like, you know, was audibling or anything like that, but just, you know, get into the flow of the offense and, and commanding the huddle and, you know, making decisions on third down and, and being a quarterback Again, rather than um, – I can speak from experience. There's a big difference between coming in at quarterback with a big lead and being told to hand off 15 times in a row and actually being allowed to, to, to run the offense and, and try to direct a drive. So I think that was really valuable for him. Um, looking elsewhere in the Valley, we'll start, I guess, with NDSU. And you have a notebook up today on yeah. com and FCS Notebook. But let's start with NDSU. They just kicked the living daylights out of Mississippi Valley State. Which we expected. Um, I, you know, I don't know anything about Mississippi Valley State, but the guys up in Fargo that cover the Bison, uh, I think that the headline on their preview was, Mississippi Valley State is bad. So, <laughs> <laughs> so they were kind of letting everyone know that, hey, this is going to be a blowout. Uh-huh. Um, so there was no surprise there. 
Um, I, but I still think, you know, kind of there's all the talk about SDSU's offense, and then we say, hey, the defense actually played well. Well, it's kind of the reverse up in, in Fargo. Their defense gets all the attention, but they scored 72 points and had over 600 yards. Uh, I'm not surprised by that because no one is suggesting NDSU's offense isn't good. Uh, they ran for, I think, almost 500 yards. Um, so, But, again, they, I think that's encouraging for that team to get off on the right foot, uh, to make a statement, because obviously they're a very hungry team this year with their streak having come to an end. And I think their offense probably does have a little bit of a chip on its shoulder just in that the, the Jacks' offense is the one in this league that gets all the attention. Mm-hmm. If I'm – Easton Stick or R.J. Erzendowski, I'm probably getting tired of hearing about Taron Christian and Dallas Goddard and Jake Winicky all the time. So um, that's something I think that's a big positive you take away from that if you're a, a Bison fan. Uh, the only negative is two more season-ending injuries. Um, one of their key offensive linemen, he's not a starter, but it sounded like maybe he was the, the first guy off the bench and potentially a guy who they were eyeing as maybe moving into the starting lineup. Uh, later in the season, uh, he went down with an injury, and then one of their, I don't know if he's their backup or third-string running back, he went down, both torn ACLs, both out for the year. Uh, and then this is a team that also in preseason lost their best defensive player, or one of them, uh, Greg Menard, the, their sack leader from the last couple of years. So, I mean, no, everyone knows that nobody in FCS football has more depth than NDSU. Uh, you know, a couple of years ago, Carson Wentz goes down for eight weeks, He's the number two pick in the draft. They didn't even need him. I mean, they yeah. went 8-0 without him, brought him back for the national championship. They, they didn't need to if they didn't want to. <laughs> um, so this is a team that, you know, if anyone can weather injuries like that, it's, it's the Bison. Um, but it's only week one, and they've already had three pretty significant players go down. Uh, if that trend continues, if they lose a few more guys, you know, you, you wonder when that does become a problem for uh-huh. them. Um, James Madison, you write about them. You say that they're still a threat to repeat as national well, champ. Well, I was kind of, and I suppose anytime you're the number one team in the nation, you have to be considered certainly in the discussion. But I always wonder when these polls come out, any level beneath the, the highest level, whether it's FCS, D2, NAIA, whatever, you look at the, the first poll of the preseason and it's basically just last year's, last year's poll, mm-hmm. you know. Well, sometimes maybe that's how it, it should be. Maybe the defending champion deserves it. Uh, but sometimes maybe they lost everybody, you know. And I don't, I don't know exactly how much turnover JMU had, but I just kind of looked at it like, well, hey, North Dakota State, five-time defending national champions. Okay, someone finally beat them last year. But they, like I said, they had a lot of injuries last year. Uh, they're going to be loaded again this year. SDSU was a team that beat NDSU, beat Youngstown State, who almost won the national championship. So I kind of looked at it and said, with the Valley being as good as it is, and with NDSU and SDSU, what I know about them, I'd put them ahead of James Madison if it were me. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe I was wrong. Um, not to take anything away from NDSU or SDSU, James Madison came out and pounded an FBS team. I mean, they didn't just win. They killed them. Yeah. Uh, that's, I mean, now North Dakota State has done that several times too. Um, so I'm not saying necessarily that now I'm convinced James Madison is the best team. Uh, but certainly I think they validated their spot atop the pole. Yeah. When you're the defending national champ and you open at a legit FBS school and don't just win but win comfortably, um, that's a big deal. Was East Carolina FCS recently? I don't know how long they've been FBS. They've been FBS. Isn't that the team that Skip Holtz used to coach? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I yeah think, like, like it was a few years ago they were pretty good, I think. Like yeah. a Bowl, bowl team. team. I don't know what their record was last year. They might have been three and nine for all I know. But mm-hmm. still, like I said, any win over an FBS team is usually yeah. pretty impressive. 
uh, going back to the Valley real quick, Missouri State looked really good defensively against Mizzou. <laughs> I think they gave up damn near a thousand yards in the opener. They, but they scored like forty points against uh, Missouri, yeah, right? Mizzou's defense is well. Still, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean that was one of the <laughs> between that and the St. John's game where they almost got a hundred on Saturday. What was it? Ninety-eight. Ninety-eight. Nothing. Uh-huh. Yeah. And they got to ninety-eight with like twelve minutes left. So they must have tried their damnedest to not get that that <laughs> That really does. It takes touchdown. effort. It does. You get like a safety or something like that. Oh, yeah, that exactly. Point. That's what I was thinking. Even if they do take their foot off the gas, pick six or a fumble in your own end zone. or just Throw it away. Uh, intentional grounding in the end zone. A long snap goes out of the back of the end zone. Exactly. <laughs> so many ways to exactly. get those two points yeah. and didn't do it. But those were the two games early on on Saturday that were like, wow, these are fun to watch. Just, and I was just watching them on Twitter. They weren't even on TV. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Missouri State, uh, two years ago, when they were in a complete rebuild, Dave Steckel's first year, their only win of the season was against a D2 team, and they barely won it. Mm-hmm. Um, last year they were much, much better. They won a couple games in the conference, um, but they also had a great defensive player, their linebacker Dylan Cole. He just made the Houston Texans. Mm-hmm. Um, they miss him, apparently, because, yeah, they gave up whatever it was to Mizzou. Um, that could be difficult when they have to host the Jacks in a few weeks or a few other teams in the yeah. Valley because, obviously, between – the Jacks, uh, NDSU, the Coyotes who we haven't even talked about yeah. had 77 points the other day. There's some good offenses in this. How league. about Mizzou? Not to linger on my home team too much, but how about Mizzou getting a touchdown called back for a dude diving into oh, the freaking end zone? Yeah. What a stupid rule. Yeah, and then you know, I I saw a few people defending the refs saying, "Hey, those are the rules." I'm like, "No, they're not. Huh. That excessive celebration is a judgment call. Yeah. There isn't anything in the book that says if a player dives across the goal line from the two-yard line that you know, no. Yeah. That referee was well within his right to not do anything. Mm-hmm. Say it's football. He scored a touchdown. He's happy. I mean, and he dove into the end zone. Now, yeah. granted, yeah. he was. It wasn't a. There was nobody around play him. or anything. But so what? They're having fun. Yeah, well, even just. So what? If he slid like a baseball slide, would that be excessive celebration no, too? No, but he'd probably be down at like the one. You're right. <laughs> Still, I just, you know, yeah, that that's really, really disappointing. So and, and you know, whenever those kinds of things happen, I hope those referees get as much negative scrutiny as they possibly can. Yeah. Because uh, I just, you have to have, I understand officiating is a difficult job, but you have to at least have the understanding that people are not there to see you. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if he had not made that call, what would have happened? Nothing. Nothing. Nobody would no even know. No one would have said a word. The other team's coach would have been like, hey, that's so... Yeah. And not only that, that especially since now the rule apparently... That's the other thing that's terrible. The rule actually takes the points off the board. It'd be one thing yeah. if it was just a 15-yard penalty assessed on the kickoff or extra point. But to take the touchdown off the board, give me a friggin' We're going to get to the national championship game, and a dude's going to dive in the end zone because he's just so dang excited to get in there. They're going to take it off the board, and that's going to decide the national championship. Well, I hope whatever, if it's an SEC crew or whatever, that someone has told that guy, you got that one wrong. Yeah. Keep your flag in your goddamn pocket. Yeah. Jeez. Especially at that point of the game. Thank Jesus. Yeah, that was ridiculous. Uh, shifting over to USD, you mentioned them. Uh, Chris Strebler with a big night. The Coyotes in general just a big night with 77-7 yeah. win over Drake. Drake kind of held their own against the Jacks last year. So yeah. I don't know if they're way down. I know they had a, a tight end last year who's now in the NFL, who, so he's gone. But I think their quarterback was back. and um, You know, USD's probably a lot better this year too, but that surprised me a little bit. You know, I was thinking 49-10, to 10, something like that. 
not 77 to 7. Yeah. So uh, 56 to 10 and at halftime. I think 56 nothing at halftime, wasn't was it? it? Oh, well, they only scored it. seven. Oh, yeah, you're right. I was looking at the uh, at the last time that they scored that many points. I mean, that's oh, incredible. Yeah. I mean, Mick points it out that you're not sure how quality a team that is Drake, right. but to hang that kind of number against any team. Well, and I think the big thing to take away for, from USD is that they struggled like hell last year to stop the run, and Drake had, like, minus seven rushing yards. Mm-hmm. Now, some of that might have been sacks and – you know, once you're behind by 50, you're not going to be running the ball or anything. Right. So it doesn't mean suddenly they've solved all their problems, but that's still an encouraging number for a defense that basically made that their number one priority going into the season. Mm-hmm. Um, who do the Coyotes have next? I'm trying to pull Bowling it up. Bowling Green, right? Bowling. Oh, yeah, that's that, right. Their FBS game in Bowling Green. I think that's their next one. Yeah, so that'll be an interesting one to see how the Coyotes fare. Have yeah. they won? They've won an FBS game, right? Yeah, they beat Minnesota their first year. Okay. Uh, or second, first or second year. They weren't even fully through the transition, and they beat Tim Brewster's Gophers. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, Bowling Green, I think, played Michigan State. This week and maybe lost like thirty-five-seven or something. They put it. They were looking ahead. They were the looking coyotes. ahead to the Coyotes. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, but I, I suppose that's a, a winnable game. I mean, I, I wouldn't say that they're the favorites, but geez, if, if they beat the Minnesota Gophers a few years ago, who granted were were not very good, um, they can beat it. They're, Bowling Green's in the MAC, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's a winnable game. Yeah, and you got Chris Strebler firing all cylinders. The defense looked right. good. It'll be interesting. It's right. sort of a litmus test for them. Yep, absolutely. How do you look at the road game for the Jacks in Montana? Tough to say. I haven't yet delved into scouting out Montana State a lot. Uh, I was listening to their coaches' press conference this morning. Um, they're coming off. Uh, they played Washington State, who's a ranked FBS team, and they kind of held their own. They got beat 31 nothing. Um, they never really did anything on offense, but their defense kind of kept a minute until late. Washington State kind of finally pulled away. Um, listening to their coach's comments, he just kind of said they're they're just better than us. You know, they're bigger than we are, they're faster than we are, and we couldn't recreate the kinds of things that they can do in practice. So when we got into the game, we were a little bit overmatched. Well, that could be the case against South Dakota State too, because as we know, the Jacks have a lot of high-end talent, particularly on the offensive side of the ball. And uh, he seems to get that. I mean, he was effusive in his praise of the Jacks. And, I mean, everybody is. It was like, oh, but, but you can kind of tell the difference between when a guy's just sort of paying lip service and saying the, the, the platitudes to, yeah, yeah, they're great, or when a guy is genuinely impressed. Mm-hmm. And you can tell this guy. And I believe Jeff Choate used to coach, might have been Washington State, or, or he was an assistant at the FBS level. And uh, he was like, hey, these three guys they got on offense are super good. He said he talked to he called the TCU staff because you know they opened played the Jags in the opener last year and kind of asked them about those guys in particular and they said we were blown away by Jake Winicky. He said we that guy would be an elite player in our league, the Big 12. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when you say that kind of thing, that's that, some really high praise. Right. Yeah. And so I think he understands there's a big challenge there for his defense. Uh, Montana State in somewhat recent past was an FCS power and now over the last half dozen years or so they've kind of fallen on hard times uh, Jeff Choate is just in his I think his second year there trying to get things turned around um, they were four and seven last year they got picked in the middle of the pack in the big sky this year it's gonna be a great environment it's one of the best stadiums and, and cities in, in FCS football I'm really looking forward just to making the trip uh, Jacks went out there for a playoff game 
Oh, no, 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 that was Montana. Oh. Uh, Montana State, they played in the playoffs like seven, eight years ago mm-hmm. and blew like a 35-point league. It was one of the most infamous games in SDSU history. It was a back-and-forth crazy game. Like, I think the final was like 47-44. I remember listening to it on the radio while I was covering a Augie basketball game. And uh, I think, I don't know if they've played each other since then in, a, in regular season action, but um, this is kind of... I mean, again, Montana State coming off a 4-7 and seven season, but the Jacks don't have an FBS game this year. Last week was a tune-up. Next week, Drake. Clearly, that's a tune-up. Yeah. Uh, so this is their, their one non-conference game that they can kind of circle and say, this is our, our fun trip or our chance to play someone outside of our league that's a challenge. Um, I would expect the Jacks to win the game. Uh, but having said that, it feels a little bit like the Cal Poly game last year. When uh, now, granted that one that one was in Sioux Falls, or I mean Brookings, but everyone said, okay, Cal Poly's good, but they're not that good. This should be a pretty simple win, and uh, they they a lost. Lot of being kind um, of a trap game. Yeah, uh, no, gr- part of that was Cal Poly was kind of gimmicky with the triple option and everything, and, and Montana State won't do that. Um, but it, I would say you could call it a trap game. Uh, yeah. Maybe Montana State is. You know the breakout team in the Big Sky this year, and they end up going seven and four, eight and three, and making the playoffs. That's kind of what ended up being the case with Cal Poly last year. So uh, this is a losable game if you're SDSU. I, I do think they'll win. Uh, looks like uh, Montana State is still trying to figure some things out on offense. Their quarterback kind of took a beating last week. Again, granted against a ranked FBS team, uh, but it'll be interesting to see how the Jacks respond on that first road trip of the year. Shifting down to the NSIC, really rough day at the office for Augustana. Oof, I watched the whole game. I was going to go, like I said, and I just decided to watch it on TV. I'm glad I didn't go because uh, it was just not a fun football game to watch. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they just couldn't move the ball at all. Um, their first drive, they got, I think, one or two first downs and then punted. Then they get the ball back, second drive, go down the field and score. So at that point, you're like, okay, this looks pretty good. You know their defense is going to be solid. Offense had two semi-decent drives, get a touchdown on one. First touchdown pass for the new quarterback. You know, here we go. I think they maybe had two first downs the rest of the game. I mean, it was just three and out, three and out, three and out, three and out, three and out. Uh, There was a huge uh, turnover early in the game. He got, Rubley got sacked. Looked like maybe the arm was coming forward, but they rolled it a fumble. Moorhead took it in for a touchdown. That was a, a huge, huge play as far as momentum swing. Augie had still kind of been in the game until that happened. And then, the you know, Moorhead scores 38 points. He's almost 500 yards. So you go, oh, Augie's defense must have played crappy too. Well, they were on the field the entire yeah. game. Uh, and it was a hot day out. You know, it was a noon, st- 1 o'clock start, 80 degrees that day. Uh, I have a hard time giving too much grief to the defense when your offense literally Can't keep is going three and out every yeah. single time they got the ball. So really deflating day for them. I got a sense from Jerry Osheski that he was pretty confident going into that game. Uh, I listened to their post-game press conference or post-game radio show where they have both coordinators and OJ come on and talk. And uh, OJ was surprisingly upbeat, and maybe it could just be because that's what he thinks is the best way to go forward, try to, to, to focus on the positives or whatever. Uh, but their offensive coordinator, James Schrank, was uh, clearly in a defeated mood, and he was apologetic. He was like, hey, this was terrible. I feel bad. We're going to get this fixed. Uh, they play Minot State this week on the road. Minot has, a, has been a doormat for the last few years. They got shut out in their opener. Um, I would think that's a game Augie can go on the road and win, but Mike Aldrich is the coach up there, yeah. and uh, yeah, there's nothing, nothing in the world 
he would love more than to beat Augie in the second game of his coaching career at Minot State. So that, that'll be an interesting one, too. Yeah. Kirby Horace set a single-game record for Augie with 21 tackles there against Moorhead. That's not a good thing. Yeah, not the uh, best. I mean, it, it looks good on his uh, resume or whatever. I was actually proud of their defensive coordinator, uh, Jordan Malone, when he was on the post-game press conference. You know the radio guy always wants to focus on the positives. It's like, oh, we lost 77 nothing, <laughs> but our punter had a great day, you know, right. that kind of thing. And uh, so Jeff Fillings said, well, Kirby Horror was 21 tackles. And their defensive coordinator, he goes, anytime one guy on your defense has 21 <laughs> tackles, that means your defense had a bad day. And I was like, thank you. <laughs> Same thing, last year, Christian Roseboom had a 20-tackle game for the Jacks. And a bunch of Jacks fans were like, oh, that's awesome. I'm like, that's not awesome. That's never <laughs> yeah. awesome. You, if your defense is really awesome, your best player will never have more than seven, eight, nine tackles yeah. in a game. 20 tackles in a game, you had a bad day. Well, at least Kirby's a, a linebacker, not like a safety or whatever. So they right. weren't getting... Well, and it means he's a good player. It yeah. He's the one making the stops uh -huh. when no one else can do it. Um, USF on the flip side got what you thought was a surprising That one. was the big shock to me. And... Uh, you know, some of the USF players gave me some grief on Twitter because I picked them to lose on the NSIC pick them. I, hey. That was their motivation. They had that pinned up yeah, in the locker. Right. They said, F this guy. Right. Well, every, they have like six guys in the pick them, and everybody picked Duluth. And, but it was uh, you that motivated the Cougars. I hope so, yeah. <laughs> but um, I did not get into a back and forth with any of them because I, I – and I saw uh, John Anderson and Nick Benedetto, the Cougars' head coach and D coordinator, they were at the Washington game I was covering the next night. And they saw me, and I went right up to them and, hey, congrats on the win. And they kind of needled me a little bit about it, but I was like, hey, I, I'll just look you right in the eye and say I did not think you were going to yeah. win that game. No way. You know, I, I was surprised. Um, and they ended a 22-game win streak. That's just it. I mean, Duluth is really good, or at least they have been. Uh -huh. And no one has beat them at home in five years or whatever it is. And um, the Cougars' defense I knew was pretty good. Uh, their offense, I'm not going to lie, did not look good anytime I went out to watch them practice. Their spring game was 3-3. Three to three. Yeah. You know, I mean, it was just – so I'm like, how are they going to score points? And to be fair, their offense didn't really do anything. But they got a pick six early. They got a punt return for a touchdown. They got a big early lead, and they just said, all right, we're going to sit on this, be conservative on offense so we don't give up any big plays, any ter catastrophic turnovers. And then their defense just beat the crap out of them. They had eight sacks. One guy had five sacks. Um, that's a really good sign if you're USF because John Anderson, the new head coach, he's a defense guy. You know, he was mm -hmm. their defensive coordinator. And uh, that tells you that he has not forgotten how to coach defense because uh, they came out and just punched those guys in the face, to use the cliche, uh, and totally dominated them. Uh, offense is still a question mark, um, but again, they were very conservative because of the way the game was going. Um, they got Northern State this week at home for their home opener. I would have said two weeks ago, hey, that's that's going to be a tough game. That could And, and still might be. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm definitely picking USF this week based on what <laughs> they did against Duluth. Big thing with USF's offense probably is to find some help for Max Mickey because if teams are just going to key in on stopping the run. Yeah, and that was another reason. Like, I was expecting him to finish with, like, 20 carries for 40 yards. And he had 37 carries for 115. <sighs> that's still not a very good average. It's only about no. three yards yeah. a pop. But it shows that they were able to – I mean, everyone knew, especially when you have a lead – Guess what they're going to do? And Give it to Max Mickey on every yeah. play. And their defense is totally sold out on trying to stop him. And they've got a, a new quarterback who hasn't played much. 
and they said, hell with it, we're going to keep going to max, and they were able to find at least some space to eat some clock, get some first downs. Um, if they can get that passing game going, which I'm assuming they will as, as the season goes on, um, and not every team probably is going to be as good defensively as Duluth is. So, I mean, as I put it in my story today, there, that could not have been a better result for USF um, because it's the hardest game on their schedule. Mm-hmm. You know, going on the road to Duluth, yeah. that was the one game you looked at the schedule and said, well, L, they're going to lose that one. You know, what other games, you know, they got that one. So mm-hmm. I'm not saying they're going to run the table by any means. They're not going to. Um, but that they just won the most difficult game on their schedule good in the first block, game yeah. of their new coach's tenure. I mean, that's a big, big deal. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, before we get out of here, we'll talk a little bit more about this game tomorrow on the high school show. Um, but Washington Roosevelt, you were at that game. Mm-hmm. Um, Warriors, I think you came away with the same takeaway that I did. I mean, they're every bit as good as advertised. Yeah, and uh, I mean, we all knew that going into it, but um, Jesus, they passed the eyeball test, too. I mean, (laughs) Zach Hines, I said on Twitter, I was like, he looks like he could play in the Valley right now. I was not exaggerating. I mean, he's a giant. Mm -hmm. Um, And Seth Benson was all over the field, and Geez, their they're backup, or not, I shouldn't say backup wide receiver, their number two receiver, Shiloh Flanagan, he's a college player. You know, Tupac Kapaya ran for 200 yards in two and a half quarters. Yeah. Um, their whole offensive line, their defense just suffocated Rose. Roosevelt's supposed to be the second best team in the state. You know, that number two spot has become the by the end of the year. Maybe they won't be. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. But I mean, it's that's, yeah, that second spot is going to be a that's like the door, sacrificial but. altar for teams yeah. playing Washington because it's a Gorman this week. Yeah, and uh, Kim Nelson after the game was kind of torn between saying, "Well, yeah, Washington is just that awesome," and you know, he said in his post game quotes, "They're bet they're on a they're on a different level than everyone else," um, but he also clearly didn't feel like his team played as well as they could have. Uh, they come out, Washington got the ball first, and Roosevelt holds them three and out. So that's encouraging. But then they get the ball back. First play of the game, long center snaps it over the quarterback's head. It's second, second and 25. Well, that drive is ruined. Mm-hmm. Then you got to stop Washington again, which they don't. Seven nothing, kind of their, their things snowballed from there. Um, he told his players, as, as I mentioned in my story, he was very adamant to them, do not accept this loss. And I know exactly what he means. That sounds like a cliched thing, but I think what he's saying to them is don't tell yourselves that it's okay just because of how good those guys are. Right. Um, and what else are you going to tell your, your team? Uh, I think, you know, does Kim and, and every other coach, Jared Fredenberg, Jason Poppinger, do they all look at what Washington and go, well, nobody's going to beat those guys? Yeah, I think they kind of <laughs> yeah, do. Yeah, maybe. Um, but, but, you know, stranger, stranger, stranger yeah. things have happened. Injuries happened. Roosevelt had a team a few years ago that was almost that dominant. Then everyone got hurt, and they ended up losing. Mm-hmm. So whether it's injuries or, you know, sometimes there's just fl- weather. You know, if there's a game late in the year where it's muddy and rainy and – you know, you get some some pick sixes or some botched snaps or something. I mean, weird things can happen. So um, the thing, the interesting thing is, you know, Washington gets O'Gorman this week in the President's Bowl. So then their their three toughest games are are out of the way. This then, is the stretch where everybody's right. Know. So then now they're going to coast for a month. Well, that's probably plays into the hands of their opponents rather than them. Now it, it will allow Washington probably to stay very fresh and healthy because they're never going to have to play their starters more than two quarters. Mm-hmm. Um, but it gives the other opponents, you know, all that time to continue to kind of hone what they're trying to do. Uh, not that they're focusing everything on Washington, um, but they can continue to try to make strides to where they're playing their best football at the end of the year. And 
Washington, I don't care how motivated they are or whatever, it, they will have had an easier path by then. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying they're going to be right for an upset. I fully expect Washington to run the table and win the state championship this year. Uh, but things could, could work out in a way uh, that a team like Roosevelt or Brandon Valley could get to the end of the year, O'Gorman, and say, hey, we, we think we're, we're close enough that if things break our way, we might be able to have a shot at them. Maybe you're able to pick things, too, apart from those games when Washington has their starters in. Like, hey, if we do a little bit of this and combine with a little bit of that, mm-hmm. you find ways to beat them. But what's interesting is that between these two games, I think you see just how well-rounded a team Washington is. Yeah. Against Brandon Valley, they keyed it on Tupac. They shut him down. Well, then they just took to the air, and they destroyed him there. They have Braden Peterson in the backfield, Brandon does, and a young quarterback. Washington said, fine, we'll let you beat us through the air. Try to beat us through the air. And their sophomore quarterback had a good game, and they shut down Braden. Well, Braden went out this week against Lincoln and put up a school record of 270 yards, you know. <laughs> and then telling. And yes. then against Roosevelt, you know, it was a question of how will they do against, you know, more pass-oriented offense. Well, we've seen that now. Yep. And Tupac took off. Yep. I mean. And Roosevelt, um, they didn't even really try to run the ball. And Brady Dannenbring, their sophomore quarterback, he impressed me, mm-hmm. but he got the crap beat out of him. Dude. I mean, they were just – he's a big kid, so he can maybe stand up to it a little better than your average quarterback, but, man, did he take a beating. And uh, they had some success moving the ball in the air, um, but it's just – it's such a risk to, to have a high school quarterback. I and mean, he split time with Carter Lohr, but between the two of them, when you've got a defense that that's, that's that physical and has that much talent, that much – those that many great players coming off the edge, you're really risking your quarterback's safety by dropping back 30 <laughs> times in a game. So, yeah. like you said, it's, it's it's really the the quote unquote pick your poison sort of deal. Yeah, oh, you get to see Seth Benson probably for another four years up in uh, Brookings after this. Yeah, Zach Hines too, and yeah, they uh, could not have been more impressive. I mean, those are two guys that even when before this season even started, uh, when they announced they were going to SDSU, those were two guys you knew. Hey, these guys are probably going to come to Brookings and be impact dudes. They're not coming here to to redshirt for three years and wait till they're older guys to start playing. Right. Awesome. Well, that's our show for this week. Next week, we'll probably do something with USD with them going up to Bowling Green. But Matt, you can follow him on Twitter at ArgusMattZ for uh, updates from Montana State. And I'll be back tomorrow. Who with you got the, for uh, All Access this weekend? We're going to uh, President's Bowl this week. So oh, we'll duh. have Roosevelt and O'Gorman. So we'll get a first, or not O'Gorman, uh, Roosevelt Lincoln. So we'll get a first. Which, is that the early one or the late one? Oh, uh, late one. Okay. Washington O'Gorman will. That's the early game? Yeah. That'll be something. And that's Saturday, right? Yeah. Hey, what'd you think of O'Gorman's new uniforms? Have you seen those things? Yeah, they were pretty cool. Yeah, they were prior to that. They were wearing the same uniforms that they had back when you were playing, right? Um, yeah, I think maybe they were. The big deal was always when when O'Gorman played Washington and I played for Washington. They wore green jerseys mm-hmm. as part of this throwback to the 1600s or whatever. I don't know, but <laughs> um, it was Steve Keeter and Stu Whitney always made this huge deal out of the green jerseys, and anyone who was not affiliated with O'Gorman would always be like. Who cares? It's not that big a deal. Nobody cares what color jerseys they wear. We didn't. It's not like as Washington, we walked out onto the field and saw the green jerseys. Like, ooh, <laughs> saw the green jerseys. We're intimidated Shit now. We're green jerseys. I don't even know why we're going out there. Yeah, so that was always way overblown in my opinion. But uh, I did like the new ones. Yeah. They're pretty cool. They wanted to bring back the green Adidas jersey. Shannon Popping has said, but uh, they just they didn't have enough money to do all the different combos they wanted to. So right. they settled with the gray. But. Good stuff. Appreciate the uh, time. We appreciate you listening, and uh, we'll be back and talk to you next week.